Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Nice. Good to see you in church. There's about a third of you that are really excited to be here today. We should get excited when the Lord wants to speak to us. Can we get excited about being in church this morning? Don't get excited about me. Don't get excited about hearing my voice. God wants to speak to us today. Every time we open his word, it's an opportunity to hear from him. Amen? All right, so let's believe for that today. And if you're new to the church, I just want to take a moment and welcome you and say thanks so much for being here today. Welcome to the bridge. Again, if this is your first time or if you've been around for a little bit and you're newer to the church but you haven't yet gotten connected, we're thrilled that you are here today. Welcome. We just want to invite you, hang out for a while after service today, meet some of the great people that call the Bridge Church home. Come by the info center if you'd like, if you have any questions that we can answer for you. That's why our team is there, to help you out, to answer any of those questions. We hope you feel like family here. We hope that we can help you find your place in this church family. And speaking of that, there is something that's happening today called Connecting Point. It's happening during our next service at 1130. And this is for anybody that's new to the church and you're just looking to find out more about the history, the mission, the vision, the heartbeat of the Bridge Church. We invite you to come to Connecting Point. You might not have signed up for it yet um, leading into today, but you're still welcome to join us if you'd like to do that. It's in the music and arts room straight through those double doors down to your left during the 1130 service. And if you have kids, Bridge Kids is happening. If you want to check them in again and do that, you're welcome to do it. But we just want to meet you and help you get connected and plugged in here at the bridge. So thanks so much for being here today. And if you're a regular at the church, would you join me this morning? Let's just put our hands together and welcome all of our guests to church today. Awesome. Well, my name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here at the bridge, and I have the privilege of getting to share with you today. Uh, Pastor Gary and Pastor Ann, our senior pastors, are actually in Kenya this morning. And uh, they will be there uh, for a few more days, actually for a little more than a, uh, another week or so more, that they'll be in Kenya. And uh, this morning, for those of you that don't know, Pastor Gary is my dad. And he texted me this morning and said, hey, we're praying for you, praying for services. And that was exciting to me to think that he was thinking about us on the other side of the world. And I texted him back and said, hey, we're praying for you guys as well. Hope things are good and that everything's going well. And he said, we just got out of a church dedication that we were doing because how many of you know we just built a building recently there in Kenya, which is very, very cool. Thank you so much for your generosity. Yeah, go ahead. Give yourselves a big hand. So we just built a church building there in Kenya through your generosity and through your giving. And they actually did that church building dedication this morning. And he said, we just got out of a church building dedication and the service was six hours long. I'm like... Oh, my Lord. So I figured if, you got, or if they could do six hours, you guys could listen, listen to me for at least two, right? So I'm going to take some, just kidding. I'll be a whole lot more brief than that today. But I say all that to say keep your pastors in prayer this morning and just that God gives them health, safety, a good trip, and just opens lots of great doors for ministry opportunities, all right? This morning, I want to bring you a message called the power of perspective. The power of perspective. And we're going to be looking at Two main passages of scripture today from Genesis 12, and then we're going to look at Genesis chapter 15. So if you want to turn there this morning, Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, if you don't have a Bible or if you don't have it on a device, we'll have the verses on the screens for you so that you can follow along. But again, the power of perspective. And if you know your Bible very well, you know that this portion of scripture in this part of Genesis, it starts to tell us the early stages of the story of a man named Abram. Abram, who would go on to be called Abraham, and this is his journey where God calls him from the home he has always known to go to a place that he will show him, where he will inherit a land that God is going to give him, where we, he will have descendants. He'll be the father of a great nation, and through him, the nations of the earth will be blessed, and we're going to talk about that in Genesis 12 here in just a moment, but 
I think one of the things that we have to understand about this passage of Scripture right here is that throughout this passage where God calls Abraham or Abram to go from the place he's always called home to this place that is unknown to him, this is a journey where God is wanting to change Abram's perspective. God has a plan, he has a purpose, he has a destiny for Abram's life, but in order for Abram to step into it, God doesn't just need to take him there and teach him how to trust him. He does want to do those things, but he also wants to change Abram's perspective. He wants Abram to be able to see things the way that he does, to see beyond his own natural sight and begin to see things the way that God sees things. And What's so cool about this is when you think about this word perspective, I think most of us would probably have a pretty similar definition if we were to try to personally define the word perspective. But one of the definitions, and there's many of them from many different dictionary sources, but one of the definitions that I found of this word perspective is the appearance of things relative to one another as determined by their distance from the viewer. Let me read that one more time. Definition of perspective, the appearance of things relative to one another as determined by their distance from the viewer. Here's another way of saying this. Perspective is when you or I could be standing in two different places looking at one singular object, but because we have two different views or two different perspectives, we might be looking at the same thing, but we don't see it the same way. Does that make sense to everybody? Perspective depends upon where you stand, what you are looking at, and the view from which you are seeing it. And God places this call on Abram's life, and as he's taking this journey to the place God's calling him to go, God wants to teach him how to trust him, but he also wants to teach Abram how to see things from his perspective. And let me just give you kind of a fun illustration of perspective. Um, This morning, Jeff led us in worship. Jeff is our worship director here at the bridge. And I played golf with Jeff last week and a couple of other guys, another old guy that's here in the crowd. I won't call him out by name. Um, And, of course, my pastor, Pastor Gary, my dad. Um, So the four of us are playing golf. (laughs) I can't say his name now that I called him an old guy. I'll really embarrass him. (laughs) So we were playing golf last week, and there's one hole. And if you've ever played at Cross Creek in Temecula, there's a hole in the back nine where you have to hit your tee shot over a bunch of trees, and it's a downhill shot. And if you get to the very end of the fairway, the end of the fairway is about 200 yards, so it's a little too far for you to hit a driver. And if you want to play target golf, you can play a safe shot to land it down in the fairway. Or you can try, you can attempt a blind shot because you can't see the hole. Well, we pull up to the hole, and Jeff pulls out and looks at the distance, and he says, you know, it's less than 350 yards to the hole. And I said, yeah, but you can't see it. And in the tee box, you're standing here, there's a hill directly in front of you. The fairway is over there, and the hole is somewhere down that direction, but you can't see where you're going. And Jeff says, well, I think I can hit driver if I just go this way. And I'm like, yeah, but you can't see where you're going. He says, well, it can't be that difficult, right? So he takes out his driver. So Jeff hits driver, and he hits the best shot of the day for him off of the tee. He hits this great shot over the hill, and I decide that I'm going to play it safe. So I play it safe, and I take out, I think, like a hybrid three, and I hit it down, and I hit it a little bit too far left, and I leave myself in bad shape. And by the time I get to my ball and see what my position is, we look down on the other side of the goalie, and there's Jeff's ball laying way down there at the base of the hill that the green sits on. So I'm about 200 yards from the hole, and Jeff, who took the blind route, the way that he didn't know where his ball was land or see where it was going. Jeff chose because he could measure the distance to go this other direction. He hits his drive. It's a great drive. I'm 200 yards out. Jeff's looking at about 60 yards to the pin. So Jeff chips up. 
he rolls about six feet from the pen and knocks it in for birdie. And all of us are just like, you got to be kidding me. None of us ever, yeah, give it up for Jeff. He's, he's proud of himself. Good time to walk into service, Jeff. <laughs> but I played it safe. Jeff took the road less traveled. None of us ever hit that shot, even though we've played that hole a bunch of times. And it ended up birdie for Jeff. Well, I ended up in the goalie. I think I double bogeyed that hole. Funny enough, we all ended up having the same score that day. It was a strange day. Has anybody ever played at Cross Creek before? Cross Creek is one of those courses that when you go out there and play, one of the great things about playing there is that you lose all cell reception. And some of you were like, why would that be a good thing to lose cell reception? What if your wife needed to get a hold of you? Exactly. But I can't tell you how many guys I've talked to that say, oh, I can't play there. But I use that illustration to say this. We were both going toward the same hole, but he had a different perspective on how to get there than I did. I played it safe. I still ended up in bad shape. He took a risk, hit a great shot, and he ended up scoring on that hole and beating all of us on that hole. It's all about perspective. What do you see when you look at the life that God has called you to? What do you see when you look at your walk of faith? What do you see when you look at the challenges or the problems or the issues that you might be facing? Maybe you feel limited by the things that are happening in your world right now, but what if God is calling us today to see things the way that he does. I want to give you a few quotes this morning on perspective. Just some quotes that I think bring some emphasis here and help us to understand this a little bit further. I don't know who this quote should be attributed to because I found it in a lot of different places, but this quote says, not all storms come to disrupt your life. Some come to clear your path. It's all about perspective. Abraham Lincoln said, we can complain that rose bushes have thorns or we can rejoice that thorn bushes have roses. It's all about perspective. And if you want some real wisdom, you've got to go all the way back to the great comedian, George Carlin. Some of you who are older than me thought that that was funny. George Carlin said, some people see the glass as half full. Others see the glass as half empty. But I see a glass that's twice as big as it needs to be. It's just a matter of perspective. But to get a little bit more spiritual for a moment, Christian author Mark Batterson, he wrote the book The Circle Maker. Maybe you're familiar with it. He said this, he said, we don't see the world as it is, we see the world as we are. If someone has a critical eye, they will always find something to be critical about. And if they have a grateful eye, they will find something to celebrate even in the worst of circumstances. Having a good eye in life changes how you see yourself and everything around you. Your focus determines your reality. What's he talking about? He's talking about perspective. Now, all of those quotes sound real nice and encouraging, but let's just be honest, we're not here this morning for self-help. We're not here for motivational speaking or words of, of, of positive affirmation. We're here to get into the Word of God, which changes lives. Amen? I want to look at Genesis chapter 12 with you this morning and look at the process that God walks Abram through to change his perspective on the thing that he's calling him to with his life. Now, in Genesis 12 right here, what we're going to do is just do a quick refresher of the first promise that God gave Abram for what he wanted to do in and through Abram's life. So this is what it says, Genesis 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him 
who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. That's his nephew, Lot, his brother's son. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I'm going to read that part again so it sinks in. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, the land of his youth. Verse 5, Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, This, again, this passage of scripture right here is the original promise where God gets Abram's attention. He speaks to Abram. He tells tells Abram, I want you to leave the place you've always called home. It's referred to in scripture of leave your father's house and this land that you've always known and go to this place I'm calling you to go. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around what this meant, but most likely Abraham or Abram was the inheritor of his father's estate, his father's livestock, his land, his servants, his employees. Abram would have been the inheritant of all of these things, and now God is saying, leave everything that's always been comfortable and go to a place that is unknown, that's unfamiliar, that I'm going to show you. And I bet Abram had all kinds of questions, but what I love about this is all that it says is that Abram departed. Abram departed. He took God at his word. He left. He went to pursue this place that God was calling him to go. But I think there's a couple of things we need to point out here that are really, really interesting, because I'm just going to be honest with you. There are times where I'm not that spiritual. When I read the scriptures, I look at it through the eyes of my flesh, and I ask questions. I'm like, what? Verse 4 says that Abram was 75 years old when he left the land that he had always known, the land of his father in his father's house. Now, here's a few questions that I want to ask you. How many of you know that 75 is a bad time in life to pick up and move house? And if you've ever had to do it, if any of you here are 75 or older, you know that's not fun. How many of you know that at 75, changing careers isn't easy? At this point, you'd hope to be retired. Abram doesn't even know what this next season of life is going to hold for him or what he's about to step into. But what about this one? How many of you know that at 75, starting a family isn't easy? Now, you giggle, you chuckle a little bit, but let's just be honest. Starting a family at 75 is more than just not easy. I think for most we would say it's impossible. Let's take it a step further. It's kind of gross. Anyway, just leave that right there. Abram must have known that all of these promises God was making were going to be pretty difficult to pull off in the natural. But what Abram didn't know was that it was still going to be 25 more years before he even had a son. So let's do the simple math. Thank God God gave us an easy math here. Abram starts his journey at 75. He doesn't have a child for another 25 years, which means that he started a family at what age? That's nasty. All right. Sorry. Even though God's call on Abram's life sounded difficult, Abram believed God at his word because every step of the way, God was wanting to change Abram's 
perspective. He wanted to change Abram's perspective to see things beyond his natural ability, beyond his fleshly perspective. He wanted Abram to see things the way that he did. So he calls Abram to walk. Now, fortunately, the scripture leads us to believe that it doesn't take Abram very long to start walking to this place he's unfamiliar with before God suddenly points it out and says, this is it. This is the land. This is the Canaan land. Currently inhabited by Canaanites, this is the land that I'm going to give to you and to your descendants. And this idea of descendants was foreign to Abram. Why? Because he didn't yet have any children. So Abram has to take this 25-year walk, this 25-year journey of of settling this land that God promises promises to him, of fighting off others who want to come and take the land or his things from him. He has this long walk of faith that lasts 25 years where the results that he's believing for and the things that God has promised him have not yet come to pass. And along the way, he gets totally discouraged. It becomes difficult. It becomes really uneasy to the point that Abram starts looking back at God and saying, God, I don't know about this. I don't understand this. I don't know if this is really going to come to pass. The things you've promised, are they really still true? Are they really still going to come to pass? Until we find Abram having another encounter with God in Genesis 15. And this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time today, all right? Look at Genesis 15 and verse 1. Abram has another encounter with God. It says in verse 1, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Now stop here for a minute, because I want to spend some time, a few minutes in verse number one today. Because as I was studying out this passage, I was really surprised at a couple of things. I think I've preached from this passage of Scripture two or three other times over the last few years, over the last ten plus years, I guess. And I somehow missed this just in verse one, because... As I'm studying this out, there are multiple Bible scholars and Bible commentators who point out very quickly in verse 1 right here, God does three things. He gives a command, he gives a promise, and he gives a prophecy. A command, a promise, and a prophecy. And all of these things are specific to the call of Abraham, but we can get so much from them ourselves. And I want to take some time and dwell on these three things just for a little bit, okay? The first thing that we see from God to Abram is a command. And the command is very, very simple. Do not be afraid. Everybody say, do not be afraid. I love that phrase, and I'll be really honest with you. I think that even as Christians, we could do a better job of when we talk to one another about the things that are going on in our life, we could do a much better job of starting out that conversation after we've told somebody what's happening by responding and saying, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Or as scripture sometimes puts it, fear not. And I want to just take some time and talk a little bit about this command that God gives to Abram right here. Because Pastor Gary talked about this a few weeks ago in one of his messages. And it just rang true with me this week during my preparation time. I think over the last 18 months, we have talked about fear or worry or anxiety as much as we've talked about anything else. And that makes sense, right? Because it's a topic that's so incredibly relevant to the day. But even if we hadn't walked through as a society and as a world everything that we've seen over the last 18 months, regardless of, you know, pandemic or anything else, I think all of us understand, we know and we understand what it feels like to wake up every day and have something that we're afraid of, something that we're worried about, something that brings fear or worry or anxiety to us. And here's what's so interesting about this. You know, yesterday... I'm a college football fan, okay? Like when college football season starts, the rest of the world could just stand still for all I care. Like Saturdays, 
Come on. That's like, I live for this. <laughs> I'm all about it. And my wife is kind enough to just allow that to happen. There are days where we have other interruptions and things that are a bigger priority. I get that. But she's really cool about it. But we're sitting uh, at home watching TV yesterday. I shouldn't say we were watching college football. I was watching college football. And at one point during halftime of one of the games, I got up and I went into the kitchen and I was making some food. And my wife came and she sat down on the couch. And at halftime of football games, one of the things that happens very regularly is you'll see like that little one and a half or two minute news break where the, you know, the newscasters pop in and they start talking about the things that are happening in the world, things that are happening in our state, things that are happening in our nation. And what was so funny is I wasn't really paying full attention to what was on the TV, but I was listening, you know, just kind of, it was in the, my, my peripheral hearing, if you will. I'm making food and I kind of heard something and I'm like, I leaned over like this and my wife in a loud voice just says, that's a lie. That's not true. And I was like, what? And she told me what they said. And she said, that's not true. What that person on the news just said, that's a lie. That's not true. And then it was like as soon as she said that, my attention turned to the news. And everything that came on right after that was nothing but doom and gloom and fear and worry and anxiety and concern. And oh, my God, it's all going to hell. And I looked at my wife and I was like, these fear mongers. These peddlers of fear that want us to be afraid of everything that's happening around us, this is what we are infiltrated with every single day of our lives. And I know I talked about this a few weeks ago in one of my messages, and I don't want to just harp on the media or the news or whatever, but the media, oh my gosh. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but we're listening to this, and I'm just thinking like, no wonder people are so afraid. Because they give ear to this all day long. And what's crazy about it is we give ear to it all day long and go back to that same place hoping they're going to tell us how everything will be okay. But guess what? If everything's going to be okay, you're going to stop watching. So they're not going to tell you that. But you know the other reason they're not going to tell you that? Because they don't know what the answers are either. So they would just rather have you keep coming back to that source of fear and worry and anxiety. And, and here's the thing that I want to say to you. That phrase, that phrase that God gives to Abram right here at the outset of his journey, or really, I guess, in the middle of his journey in chapter 15, he says, Abram, first thing he says, command, Abram, do not be afraid. Guess what? That phrase, or fear not, appears 365 times in the Bible. Now, some people will say, well, that's because God wanted us to have one of those for every day of the year. I don't know if that's why God did it, but I will tell you this. Every day of our life, we can think of something to be worried about. And I think the reason that God comes right out in the middle of this and says, Abram, don't be afraid, is because he knows if Abram starts to let his imagination and his fears and his worries and anxieties run wild, he'll start to focus on those things rather than the promises that he's made to him. So straight away, he says, do not be afraid. Listen, I don't know if it's a coincidence or if God did it on purpose that he would give us 365 of those, but we got 365 reasons from Scripture to look at every day square in the face and say, I don't care what comes my way. I don't care what I'm up against. I don't care what the devil or anybody else might throw at me. I don't care about the consequences of my mistakes. I'm going to look ahead and I'm not going to be fearful because God said 365 times, don't be afraid. Everybody with me this morning? And what's even cooler about this is that there's so much scripture that talks not just about fear or not being afraid, but dealing with fear. 
The psalmist talked about it a ton. Psalm said, the psalmist says this in Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If I've got God on my side and he's for me, then what is it exactly that I'm so fearful of that's going to overshadow that? Psalmist says in Psalm 118, 6 and 7, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me and he is my helper. Proverbs 29, verse 25, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Isaiah 41 and verse 10, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And amen. You know, I can't help but think about this, and I'll tell this very, very quickly, but you know, we had an event that we did here at the church a few weeks ago, and it was something that we did um, during the week, and there was just all kinds of obstacles and things that happened. And in the process of planning this, one of the things that happened very quickly was we realized that one of the biggest reasons we were fighting such a battle and putting this event on in a midweek thing was because we were facing the spirit of fear. And the spirit of fear came in and had a voice in, within the doors, within the walls of this church for a number of hours. When that day was over and we got through and did the thing that we committed to do and that we needed to do, we gathered up some of our team in the foyer. No joke, I opened up the front door and I was like, we are not going to give the voice of the spirit of fear. We're not going to give the spirit of fear a voice in our church. We're not going to do it. We drive it out. We cast it out. We push it out. And that day, I, you know, I don't know if the spirit of fear goes because we open a door, but I open the door as a sign of faith. I'm like, there you go. Go that way and don't come back. We're not allowing you to have a voice in our church. <laughs> I'm not saying that to make it about me. I'm saying this. You can take control of that fear that is yelling at you and staring you in the face 365 days a year. God's given you 365 promises or commands to say that you shouldn't be afraid of it. So don't be afraid. Amen? And we could spend a whole lot more time right there and talk more about that. But I think one of the reasons why God gives this command to Abram is I think it's kind of a sign of partnership. And here's what I mean by that. It's almost like God is saying, if you won't be fearful, then you will see that I am faithful. And I think God wanted Abram to know the way you'll discover my faithfulness is if you will throw aside your, your fearfulness. Does that make sense to everybody today? Our walk, our journey of faith, our Christianity will always be a partnership with God. Yes, Jesus has done the heavy lifting, but this walk is always going to require faith and trust in God. And God says, you'll discover my faithfulness when you cast aside your fearfulness. Do not fear because we're not going to get where I'm calling you to go if you just stop and slow down. No, no, we got to keep going. So don't be afraid. So the first thing God says to him right there is a command. Do not be afraid. But the second thing he gives him, number two, is a promise. And I love this. I love what God says right here to, to Abram. He gives him a promise and he says, Abram, don't be afraid, number one, but number two, the promise, I am your shield. I'm your shield. I'm your protector. I'm your defense. I am your safety. Run to me. Don't look here. Don't look there. Don't run that way or this way. Look to me because I am your shield. I'm your defense. I'm your safety. And I'm your protector. What are the things that could have been harmful to Abram? What are the things that he would have needed defense from? Well, we know that when he walked into that Canaan land, he didn't just possess it and inhabit it all by himself and with his household right away. It was going to take fighting. 
And not only that, even years, centuries later, when his descendants were trying to inhabit that land, guess what? They still had to fight for it. And I think it would have been so easy for Abram to look at the circumstances and say, how am I going to do that, God, if I got people coming in trying to fight me for the land? How am I going to do that, God, when I don't have an army with me? We're not a fortified city. How am I going to defend myself? How am I going to go forward? How am I going to accomplish what you want me to do if I'm constantly having to fight things off, if I'm having to constantly fight off adversaries and enemies who want to come in and take away from the promise that you've made me? And I'll tell you what, I think the first two things here, fear and that, that feeling of always having to defend yourself, kind of go hand in hand. It would have been so easy for Abram to get wrapped up in fear but God says, no, keep going forward. Keep walking toward your land. Go in and take it. Go in and inhabit it. Go in and live there because I've given it to you. And don't worry about having to defend yourself because I am your shield. I am your defense. I think a lot of times as Christians, we can get in kind of this defensive mode where every day we can wake up thinking that the big bad world is out to get us. Now, Jesus said that we have an adversary, the devil, and he said that he came to kill, to steal, and destroy. It was actually Paul who said we had this adversary, the devil, who prowls about like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. So we understand there's an enemy in the world and there's a devil in the world. But that doesn't mean that we have to walk through a tentative life with Christ. We can step out boldly. We can be bold. We can be strong. Why? Because the Lord our God is with us. And the thing that God wants Abram to understand here is the reason you don't have to be fearful is because you're not going to have to fight all of your battles on your own. I am your shield. I am your safety. I am your protector. I'm the one who will defend you. And again, I think sometimes we tend to look out at the world around us, man, especially in the day and age that we live, and we think, man, it's just getting worse every day. Yeah, the Bible said that was going to happen. Man, it just seems like there's a ton of opposition out there. Right, because we have this adversary, the devil. So if that's the case, I just find myself becoming more and more fearful. and I don't know if I can do this because rather than go out and achieve what God's called me to do, I just feel like I'm always fighting a battle. And God says, no, number one, don't be afraid. But number two, I'm your shield. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to defend you. Run to me for safety. Run to me for shelter. We have to be very careful that we don't ever fall into a mindset where we are defensive Christians all the time. We need to be like Abram. We step out to go and possess the land that God has called us to take. I don't know what that might look like for you. When it comes to your journey of faith, all of us are going to face some similar obstacles in our journey of faith, whether it's temptation, whether it's discouragement, maybe it's loneliness, maybe there are, time, there are, there are commonalities, things that we are going to commonly deal with. Maybe in your call, maybe in your marriage, other relationships, in your job, businesses, maybe it's things with kids. You look at these things, and sometimes you walk through these discouraging seasons, and you just feel like you're always on the defense. And God says, no, no, I want you to go in and possess all of those things. So number one, you can't be afraid. But number two, you've got to trust that I have your back. You've got to trust that I'm looking out for the things that you can't see. I want to just encourage some people today. Maybe you came here, and you're walking through a defensive season. And you feel like you can't go in and possess and take and establish yourself in the thing that God's calling you to. I feel like God is saying to some people today, stop being so defensive. I am your shield. I am your protector. I am your safety. And I have your back. So don't be afraid. Amen? Now, I want to move through one other thing very quickly, and then we're going to wrap all this up, okay? But the third thing that he says here in verse 1, after he says, number one, don't be afraid. That's the command. Number two, the promise, I am your shield. But number three, there's a prophecy. He says, I am your exceedingly great reward. Now, God has already made Abram a promise back in chapter 12 where he says, I'm going to bless you. And those who, 
Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And those who curse you, I will curse them. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And what's so interesting about this is that by the time we get to this point, Abram is still wondering, when do I receive all of this? And the last thing that God says here, the prophecy is, I am your reward. And there's kind of like two parts to this prophecy and this promise, if you will, that God has given to Abram. Because there's something that's going to come through Abram that he in his lifetime will not receive. In other words, his descendants, and even you and I sitting in this room today, would be the beneficiaries of Abram's faithfulness. Think about that for a minute. We are reading about Abram right here in the year 2021. And through his faithfulness and through his obedience, we are the beneficiaries of God's promises that went through him. And he says, I am your reward. But what if, what if Abram could have seen the whole picture and known that everything God was promising, he would not possess in his own hands in his own lifetime? Sure, there were blessings that God wanted to bring into his life, but there was more blessing that was going to come through his seed and through his descendants and even into our lives here today. And what's so cool about this is I think God in this moment is, is kind of giving him, you know, a command, a promise, and then this prophecy, not so that he can expect God to just dump riches into his lap, but so that he can start to take on a generational mindset rather than a selfless mindset, or excuse me, a selfish mindset. And here's what I mean by this. If you go to Genesis chapter 17, that's where God changes Abram's name. Abram, the name Abram means exalted father. It's all about me. I'm the one who receives all of the honor. I'm the one who receives all of the exalting and the recognition. But when he changes his name to Abraham, that means father of a multitude. And God's trying to change Abram's perspective. And when he gives him this prophecy and says, I am your reward, it seems like a strange prophecy because we all know the end of the story. And Abram wasn't still alive to see all the blessings that God wanted to pour out through his descendants. But look at the way God words this. He says, I am your reward. I want to get you thinking about this for just a minute. What if the greatest things that God wants to do through your life, you will not be the recipient of? So think about your kids for a minute. For everybody in the room that has kids, grandkids, maybe some great-grandkids. What if the greatest things that God wants to do through your life, you will not be the recipient of but future generations will. Would you still be willing to keep walking and trusting God? We have some really great friends. Ashley and I have some great friends that live in Wisconsin. And before we moved to the Temecula Valley and before they lived in Wisconsin, we all lived in the same apartment complex in Orange County. We all went to church together, served together. We were very, very tight. And before we uh, had kids of our own, they actually got pregnant first. And when they were pregnant with their first daughter, she faced all kinds of physical challenges, tons, to the point that the doctors told her that they should abort the pregnancy. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. They trusted God. And, you know, every step of the way, it was a long, difficult journey, but every step of the way, man, God just met their needs. And that girl, she has overcome step after step, obstacle after obstacle. It's been an incredible story and a great testimony. But before any of that ever happened, before we knew or ever saw that happening, I have these very, very distinct memories of the four of us sitting in our apartment in Costa Mesa. We were just sitting on the couch, and she was pregnant, and we were talking about what it would be like to have kids one day. And, you know, again, we're all wrapped up in church and serving together. And I remember they just looked at us this one night as we were having this conversation, and they said, man, having kids and pregnancy, it really just changes your outlook and your perspective on life. 
And I remember she looked at us and she said, what if the greatest things that God wants to do through our life isn't really about us, but it's just preparing and, and getting our kids ready to do the great thing that God has for them? What if that's the greatest thing I ever do is just raise a kid who does something really great for the kingdom of God? And I sat there and I thought about that for a minute and I was like, isn't it amazing how God allows that transition in your life to bring about a new perspective and a new mindset where now I'm not thinking about the great thing God has called me to, but how can I do this well so that my child, my grandchild, my great-grandchild can do the thing that God has called them to do? And it's this perspective change of generational mindset. And what's so interesting about it is even to this point in their lives, they don't know everything that their daughter or both of their girls now are called to do in life. They haven't seen it all play out. But you know what they've seen in the process? They've seen the goodness of God. They've seen the faithfulness of God. And just like Abram, they haven't seen the end of that story. But what did God say to Abram? It wasn't about the thing that you possess in this life. It wasn't about your bank account. It wasn't about your possession. It wasn't about everything that you were to acquire or to achieve. He says, I am your reward. Can I tell you something today? God might have made you a lot of great promises, and I hope that you go and possess everything that God has called you to do in life. But in the process, I think one of the things that God wants to teach us is it's not just about the end of the journey. It's about him being our reward in the journey and discovering just how good he really is. Because before there was an Isaac, and before there was a Jacob, and before there was the Red Sea experience coming out of Egypt, and before there was the full possession of a nation going into the promised land, there was just one man who didn't yet know or see the end of the story, but he chose to trust God in the process. And what he learned in the middle was that God was his reward before any possession, before any land, before any stuff, any things. Can I tell you something today? Throw the stuff and the things and the bank accounts and the security aside. God is our reward and learning and getting to know him is the greatest reward we will have in life. And he wants to teach us this in the process. He wants to shift our perspective. And finally, this morning in closing, I want to just read these last three verses from this passage, or three more verses, I should say, from this passage before we wrap this up. I want to stay on time this morning, but I want to end where we started by talking about perspective. We just spent a lot of time in verse 1 right there of Genesis 15. But in verse 2, look what it says next. It says, but Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? I mean, God was just saying, I'm your reward, right? Abram says, but God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. This is talking about his servant. And I want to explain this to you real quick. Abram's saying, God, you promised me that you were going to make me a great nation? How can I be a great nation if I don't even have a son? And at this point, he's somewhere again between 75 and 100 years old. What? I'm going to be a great nation? God, let me tell you how silly that promise sounds. Right now, if I died, the heir of my estate would be Eleazar of Damascus. You know who that guy was? He was a servant from another land who served in Abram's house. And if Abram died because he was born in Abram's house, he would have been his heir. And he's like, do you know how ridiculous that would sound if I told my friends, my family members, the people around me, that you wanted to make a great nation out of me? My heir right now is my servant, and I'm pushing 100, God. That sounds crazy. That sounds insane. It goes on in verse 3, Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Again, talking about a servant. Finally, God says in verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one 
who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Now, this right here is God's reminder to Abram that even though it seems impossible and even though it seems illogical, even though it's taking longer than Abram thought, God's going to come through on his promise. But this is where God does something really cool. Verse 5, it says that God, after speaking in a vision to Abram in his tent, does something really different. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. That's us. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, this is what you have to catch. The whole context of everything we've just read is Abram having a vision, having an encounter with God in his tent. But suddenly in verse 5, after listening to everything Abram's had to say, the verse starts out by saying, but then God brought Abram outside. And it was as if God was saying, you keep telling me about what you see, Abram, let me take a minute and show you what I see. I think many of you will relate to this, but as Christians, we're really, really good at talking to God on our terms. We're really good at telling God about our limitations. We're really good at telling God about our frustrations. We're good at telling God about our problems and what's wrong, what's not going right, what's not going well. All of us, we're so very good at encountering God and talking to him on our terms. And here's what's interesting. God isn't upset or offended when we talk to him on those terms. God is so good that he is willing to meet us in our tent when we're walking through difficult times, when we're walking through times of uncertainty. But it's in those moments that God wants to shift our perspective and say, let me take you outside and show you what I see. And in my imagination, what I see is God taking Abram outside of this tent. And in my imagination, I see that this was the greatest night where God just showed off in a way that he never had before. And the stars just beamed, and he could see galaxies from the place which he stood. And he looked out, and he saw the stars in the sky and the galaxies that God had spoken into existence and placed exactly where they needed to be. Solar systems, everything, shooting stars, falling stars, meteors, whatever it was, God was just showing off in that moment. And I think he took Abram outside and said, everything that you've been saying is limited by what you can see, but let me show you what I see. Why don't you come and look at things on my terms? Why don't you come and look at things from my perspective? When he talks about his descendants, he says, look now toward heaven and count the stars. See if you can do it. I think it was like God was saying, you see all that? Go ahead. Count it if you can. You see all that? I spoke that into existence. When I spoke, it appeared. Yourself, I created you out of the dust of the earth. Look at everything that I've made. I'm the all-creative God. I'm the one who speaks creation and nature and existence into existence. You would not know what existence was if I had not spoken it into existence. And you want to tell me about your limitations? You want to tell me what's going on within the tent that you're living in? You are limited by your perspective, and I want to show you what I see because I see so much more in you, Abram. If you won't be afraid, 
If you won't worry and trust me that I am your shield and I'm your defender, I'm going to get you where I'm calling you to go because i got great treasure for you. And what you're going to discover along the way is that I am the greatest reward you could ever have in life. Knowing me is the ultimate reward. I need to close right now, but I want to ask everybody this question. What's the tent that's living over your life right now that's limiting your perspective? What's that discouraging thing that you're dealing with every day of your life that won't allow you to go forward into God's plan? What's the thing you're afraid of? What's got you on the defense all the time that's stopping you from going and possessing God's promises for your life? I don't know what it is, but I think the call this morning from God is let's stop having the conversation on your terms and why don't you come over here and start having this conversation on mine because my perspective is a whole lot greater. If you'll trust me, if you won't be afraid, if you'll learn to know me, I'm gonna get you where I'm calling you to go. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Father, I believe in Jesus' name that you are speaking to people today. I don't even know everything that people are walking through or dealing with or going through, but this morning, right now, in this moment, we have this conversation, this prayer with you, and we get off of our terms. We relinquish our terms. We step into yours. We want your perspective. We want to see things the way that you do because we know that your plans are better. God, you know how you're going to get us to the thing that you're calling us to, to the place you're calling us to go. We know, or you know how it is that you're going to get us through our journey of faith, even as we're facing obstacles. But we relinquish our perspective. We relinquish our terms because we know that you see the whole board. And I pray, God, as we learn to trust you, you'll take us where you're calling us to go. We relinquish fear. We relinquish these negative mindsets that are limiting us today. We choose not to live our Christian life on the defensive. We step onto the offensive. We want to step in and possess everything you've promised us, God. We put fear aside. God, we speak against fear today in Jesus' name. For the person who's waking up every day limited by the spirit of fear, we say that the spirit of fear has to go in Jesus' name. Spirit of fear, you have no voice in our homes. You have no voice in our church. You have no voice in our lives and in our families, in our jobs, in our careers. We speak against you and we speak the ever love and peace of Jesus into our lives and into our walk today in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and as we've talked about all of this, maybe fear seems to be the prevalent thing in your life and you didn't know that the word of God says that perfect love, which is only found in Christ, casts out all fear. In this moment, maybe you just feel the love and the peace of God just surrounding your heart in a way that's relief for you right now because you haven't been able to find it. I want to tell you that that's the Holy Spirit of God knocking on the door of your heart this morning telling you that he wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to discover that great reward, which is Jesus. If you've never stepped into a relationship with God, all you got to do is say yes to Jesus. Invite him in. Make him the Lord of your life. Surrender everything to him. Follow him all the days of your life. and You'll discover the best of what he has for you. We say all the time around here that God's plans for your life are better than the best plans you have for yourself, and he wants you to discover it, but it starts right here at salvation. If you want to make a decision to follow Christ, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with us right now. We're going to pray this prayer all together. It's not about magic words. It's about the commitment you make in your heart and the confession you make with your mouth. But everybody in the house, say these words right after me. And if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, mean it with everything inside. Everybody right now say, Jesus, I thank you for coming to this earth and dying for me. I believe you are the Son of God, and I believe that your death 
was full payment for all of my sins. So I choose you today. I want to walk with you. I want to follow you in this life into eternity. I believe that you are the Son of God, and I put my trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If we can bring the lights up right now. If you made that decision today, that's the best decision. Woo! It's the best decision that you could ever make, and we just want to give you a big welcome into the family of God this morning. Congratulations. All right, listen, we're going to be done in two minutes, okay? So everybody hang tight because this is very important. We do this out of honor and respect for people that made a decision to follow Jesus. We want to honor you this morning. We don't want to have any distractions, all right? So hang tight for just a minute. If you made that decision, we want to help you start your journey of faith and your walk with God. We have a, a simple gift we want to give you. It's called The Next Seven Days. It's a simple book. There's a couple of different ways that you can get it. If you're watching online, there's a link right there on the screen. You can go to that link, and we will get in touch with you and send you a digital copy of The Next Seven Days. If you're in the room, you can walk up to one of our prayer teams. They'll be on one of these side walls down here on the floor. Just let them know you made a decision to follow Jesus. They'll give you the book. We don't need anything from you, but we are happy to help you pray with you in any way that we can. If you're here today and you need special prayer, that's why our prayer team are here, okay? So take advantage of that. And if you need to go quickly after the service, just stop by the next seven days desk. It's right outside between the glass doors. Uh, let them know you made that decision today to follow Jesus, and they will help you get started in your journey of faith, all right? Thank you so much. Hey, let's give everybody one more big hand for making that decision today. Last thing we're going to do in service always is just honor God with our giving. This is the time where we bring our tithes and our offerings into God's house, and we say thank you, God, for being so incredibly faithful to me. You know, when we talk about generosity, there are so many generous people here in our church, but generosity is just kind of the second step in this act. When we tithe, when we bring our first tenth into God's house, it's our commitment when we say, God, I honor you first, I put you first, because you have been so good to me. When we sow seed into God's house, that's our generosity going over and above, saying, God, I just want to plant seeds in your house for my future, knowing that you are good and that you are faithful. And this is a faithful church. This is a church full of people who choose to put God first and see the ministry of the bridge and here, the church right here locally and around the world go forward. We're so grateful for your generosity. So thank you so very much for your giving. If you want to give in person this morning, there are envelopes on your seat backs. You can drop them in one of the giving stations. Those are located right on the outside of this first set of exit doors. There's also a giving station outside in the lobby by the first time, the kids' first time check-in area. And then if you want to give digitally, there are different ways that you can do so on the screen. Again, we are so thankful for your giving and for your generosity. We recognize that the work of the ministry goes forward because of a faithful God and faithful people. So again, thank you so much. Hey, Connecting Point is happening next service. If you're new, we'd love for you to stick around and be a part of that. Joel Holm is going to be in the house next Sunday morning speaking. He's one of our favorites. He always brings a fresh word. Pray for your pastors as they're in Kenya this week. We love you. Have an awesome day and a great week. We will see you next Sunday in the house of God. <laughs>